It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. It's time for the unofficial 40. Soonerscoop.com's very official recruiting podcast featuring Soonerscoop.com recruiting publisher Josh McQuistian. Get your recruiting fix from the leader in Sooner Recruiting. It's the unofficial 40 with your hosts, Soonerscoop.com publishers Carrie Murdoch and Josh McQuistian. It is time again for the unofficial 40. Uh, I am Kerry Murdoch, along with Josh McQuistian, who is uh, in his home studio, Eddie Radosevich, in our studio here. And uh, guys, all kinds of activity to talk about. And uh, Josh, uh, a, a bevy of commitments, and, and you mentioned it. Uh, uh, this class just does not seem to be slowing down. Now at night at 19, I, I noticed this morning, uh, back up to number four in the country. Uh, but uh, another big commitment yesterday for the Sooners. Yeah, you know, Addison Gums is a guy that and, – and when we hint, – I hinted at it on Tuesday notes that, you know, it was a guy that surprised me a little bit and kind of an elite player. And for those listening that aren't familiar, he's a top 60 player in the country, one of the top five outside linebackers in the entire country. So this is a, this is a huge deal for Oklahoma. And the thing that stood out to me, you know, doing the fun facts, you kind of come up with some interesting things, little, little nuggets that surprise you. And – you know, with Caleb Kelly in 2016 and Addison Gums in 2017, two rivals 100 linebackers in back-to-back years, OU hasn't done that in a decade. And when they did it with previously, one of them was an Oklahoma native. Those kids are both from California. That's I, I can't think of a better embodiment of how OU is rolling right now in recruiting. And I, like I said in the, um, the Scoop HD uh, kind of breakdown of that commitment, I don't think it's going to stop. I think there's still some more good news to come over the next month. Well, and, and uh, yeah, it, this class, I mean, it doesn't, I think the one, the only thing that you can point to to say uh, it doesn't have is it doesn't have the Marvin Wilson. I know that's kind of everybody's starting to get on it, not on edge, but everybody's starting to wonder, are they going to get that class? Because you get that and then you really start challenging for the number one spot, but in reality, I mean, for this this program to, to go all the way to number one, the way Alabama's been recruiting, uh, as many five stars as, as are left out there, as many as they're not. I mean, they're not. This isn't going to be a class with five five stars in it. It's just not going to be that. Uh, it still can finish very strong, but I mean, how much better could it realistically get? Oh, I mean, Oklahoma is a major player, like you mentioned, for Marvin Wilson, uh, Jeff Akuda, the number one safety in the country from South Grand Prairie. They're a contender there. Um, I expect both of those guys to be at the Ohio State game. And as we've talked about before, Akuda is a guy that everybody thinks is going to Ohio State, and I think that's the right thinking at this point in time. But Oklahoma goes and wins that game and maybe even does it a little bit decisively. Who knows what that could do? I mean, guys won't – Akuda's a smart kid. He's not going to base his decision off one game. So anybody thinking that, you know, whoever wins gets Akuda, that's not the way that's going to work. But it definitely can turn his attention and he can say, you know what, I don't have to go that far away from my family. I don't have to go that far from the Dallas area 
to go and really compete at the highest level. And I think, you know, Oklahoma's the one school in his general area that can say, you know, we've been to the playoffs recently. We've done all this. And to, to beat Ohio State at home, a night atmosphere, I mean, that game should be just off, just out of control. And I was going to say off the chain, but, God, I'm just too white to pull that off. So, um, Eddie, you know, do it. he's young. Yeah, yeah, Eddie can do it. Eddie can Eddie do it. Rapsovich. You're right. It's probably too old. But either way, I mean, they got a chance there. I, you, and you look at what's left. I mean, it's not a bunch of three stars. I mean, Adrian Ely, he's a Rivals 250 guy at offensive tackle. Caleb on Shashan, he's probably going to end up in the Rivals 250. I mean, you go down the list, and the guys left are not guys that are going to be counted out. I mean, of that, of that top 20 recruits, you're not, those you're are not guys. Gonna, you're not going to get to evaluated out. offers in this class. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think you're going to have. I mean, something will go wrong somebody will miss you'll have you know oh you will take a three star maybe that they're not is over the moon about come january that that's just usually the way the numbers work out but it's not going to be five or six of those guys it's going to be one and that's okay that's the way everybody builds classes whether it's ohio state or alabama or florida they've got a couple guys in there that they like more than everybody else does and oh you can be that same way and right now i mean somebody said it last night OU has more points in the rival system uh, for the 2017 class as of what, August 18th, than they did for the entire 2017 class, or excuse me, 2016 class. That puts into perspective where OU is right now. It's insane. That, uh, that's just insane to think about. And, and especially how, I guess, how well or how, how well they've done in the past couple of years. They brought in guys they've answered, I think, some question marks in, uh, in certain areas. Josh, for, for Oklahoma to sign these guys in February, is it, how important is it to go out this season and have a good season to continue uh, building momentum and not throw down an 8-5? and five? And, and, and would that affect some guys? I, I think that it would. I think that there would be some guys that defect or decommit if Oklahoma were to go 8-5 and five this year. I agree. I mean, it's one of these things where people say, oh, well, you know, look what it did for us, you know, having this great playoff season and look how good Oklahoma's doing in recruiting. Well, the reverse is true, too. I mean, if you're going to ride that wave and say, hey, you know, we're, we're competing for playoffs and we're doing all of these things as a recruiter, then at the same time, you're opening yourself, you're opening that door for a kid to come back and say, well, yeah, you just lost three games in Big 12 play. You know, you finished third in the conference, you know, whatever. So if Oklahoma goes out and fires an eight or nine win season, I certainly don't think the class is going to fall apart. But there are going to be some guys that are going to take a look around. I think Addison Gums is a good example. I mean, one of the reasons he talked about in the story with Adam Gorney of choosing Oklahoma was because of their prestige and all the winning they do and, you know, competing for championships. Well, that's something they can kind of lord over UCLA. But if you go out and fire the same kind of year that UCLA probably will, again, eight, nine, May, you know, eight, nine wins, that's not going, you know, that's not something you're going to be able to say, well, UCLA can't do that because UCLA does that about every year under Jim Mora Jr. So you, you just have to be careful of that. And I do think there are several guys that are, uh, you would have to look at. I think the vast majority of the class would be fine, but there would be some outliers, some guys that you would wonder a little bit about. I, you know, what also is, is interesting about signing this many guys this early, and I know. By the way, have we all watched Last Chance You yet now? I think yes. so. I, I think know all, Eddie and I had last time. I've watched it. I've watched it, yes. It's amazing. Talking about academics and academic advisors. Uh, 
Yeah, I know they're going in and doing their due diligence on guys, and they know if a kid's on track or not. And I would think that you know when a kid commits early, uh, it allows him to really kind of focus in on academics maybe more. I mean, I guess it's just with the individual kid, but like you said, maybe there's kids that don't qualify. I mean, because you're going so far out, don't you kind of increase that chance of of committing to a kid that that might not end up making his grades? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, you, you look at it and there, you hear stories every year about a guy committed, you know, this time of year or earlier or whatever. And a high school coach saying, you know, and he thought he was done. He thought it had it made and he didn't take care of what he needed to and that ends up missing his GPA by, you know, a tenth or something. You know, just that's that stuff happens all the time. So and we've talked about this before on the podcast that's what impresses me the most about Oklahoma. Like, as good as they look at, you know, and I'll use this example because it's one I like, you look at what Oklahoma's situation is in the secondary, both in their current recruiting class and, you know, within their what's on roster right now. And Eddie talked about it with Stephen Parker, where Stephen Parker was saying, you know, when I got here, there was three or four safeties. Now there's like six who can play. And I think that's a good example of what, they've kind of built there between both Mike Stoops and Kerry Cooks that they still have guys on their radar. They're not even sure they're going to take another corner, in my opinion. I think if they get the right guy, they absolutely will, but they're not sure they're going to take anyone. But they have several guys that they are still looking to, still talking to, and if anything changes, they're ready. They're ready to go off for that guy, and they built a relationship. So I think that's where you see the difference where – you know, we talked. Uh, I talked a little while ago about you know, oh, you won't have to scramble in January. They have a plan already in place. If this happens, then this, and that's what you saw with Trajan Bandy. There was no jumping. There was no big alarm. They knew that was a possibility, and they prepared for it, and they were ready for it. So I, I think that's that's the difference with what's happening right now, especially with all these early commitments. They're able to kind of build a plan, and then you know, whichever route things go they can follow it up that road all right i have a tangent to take you guys on um i'm just looking through the roster right now in the media guide and let me explain kind of for people that haven't watched it i'll try and do this without spoiling it but last chance you it's a it's a a, a documentary about east mississippi community college it's where jamal danley came from the colton bester the colton besters from scuba mississippi uh, it's in Scuba, Mississippi, and they follow all these kids, and, it, and it's really about what a handful these kids are to deal with on a daily basis. I mean, to me, that's what it's really about. It's not about how good their season's going, but you know, there are there are times when they can't get kids to go to class. They're about to get kicked out of school. Uh, there's brawls on the football field. Uh, coaches trying to you know get these guys to play well, and they they're mostly all from Division One schools, but there's there's is it LJ Law is that the running back DJ Law DJ Law DJ Law he's kind of the guy they follow along the most as being a handful his dad was in prison uh, he hates going to school they're they're all and, and Ronald Ollie was the other guy I thought yeah although I read a thing from her uh, the the ap- academic advisor I followed Miss Wagner Miss Wagner <laughs> I'd follow comp I I would fail English comp if that meant spending a semester with her. <laughs> Eddie has a crush on, on. I followed her on Twitter the other day. I hope that's okay. Is with it you, a good Eddie. follow? Uh, I don't know. I haven't. There's not enough evidence. To I might have it yet. to do that as well. 
Um, she's got like thirteen thousand followers. Does she really? She follows Jamal Danley. I noticed that. That's funny. Um, uh, and so anyway, somebody's trying to call. Me. Curtis Fitzpatrick is trying to call me. Um, so wrong. here's my question for you guys. Give me the two, the one one guy for sure. If Lance Chest, Lan, Lan, last chance, you was doing an Oklahoma edition. Who's the one guy that you want to see what how big of a handful he is behind the scenes? Current? Yes. I it's got to be one of two guys. I know my guys who I want. I'm trying to think. Okay. Yeah, I'm going to uh, give me a minute here. It's like, easy if you go through the roster. I mean, number 1 the number 1 Joe Mixon, right? Joe Mixon is number 1 without a doubt. Okay. Mm-hmm. You want to see what, you know, if they're having to force him to go to class, stuff like that, what what kind of kid he is behind the scenes. How close do you think last chance you stuff is? And I know it's on a very small scale, but how close do you think that is to what's going on in Norman? Just just as far I as... I think there are elements of that in every major college yeah, football program. Yeah, and I'm not saying country. it's a bad thing at all. I guess it could be. I mean, I thing. think you are you are hurting kids to go to class. I think... You're you're trying to get kids not to fail on a constant basis. I think you have confrontations at times between players and coaches that are ugly. And I think there's a bunch of knuckleheads just running yeah. around everywhere. You know who would might get a vote for me, and I, I'm still thinking about it. Devonta Lampkin might be on my short list just because I can see that. I and not only, you know, like, again, you know, kind of like he had some academic stuff getting in. And so, you know, you wonder if that would be interesting to follow. Yeah. Although I, I think he's a pretty sharp kid. I always did. But he is he's interesting to talk to. Lampkin's always very opinionated, very strong. I feel like he's one of those guys you would follow around and probably get something interesting uh, out of him fairly regularly. Well, for me, I have to I have to put Jordan Thomas on this list. because yeah. I just want to oh. know. I want to know how big of a knucklehead he really is. And I've heard some things that aren't flattering, and I would just I would want to see. It's just crazy to think that you know he. It does sound like Jordan is a knucklehead at times, but at the same time, he's literally taking classes hard, that were harder than any class I ever took at OU. Any same. class. Yeah. I mean, I he was know. talking about. I remember talking to him last year about taking biomechanical engineering. And Although you know what. According to the media guide, oh, has he changed? Changed he is majors? majoring in African and African American studies. Oh no, I don't think that, that would be a whole season right there. Just his going complete from change. engineering to what is considered the that's like a university walk major, through right? Major, yeah. yeah, that is considered that's the new communications. Wow, that's, that's like trump card withdrawn because that's what we've always gone to is. Well, you know, yeah, he does these things that we can't explain, but, man, he's got to be really smart. He's doing this. Well, now you just lost that. So I don't know what the, <laughs> what the defense is anymore for some of the things he does. Yeah, that's news. That's, that's going from I, I, I'm we here We haven't to, discussed that on the boards or anything. I just noticed that looking through the media guide. That's going from I'm here to get a degree to I'm getting a degree in education to he's getting I'm getting a, a degree, degree in football. Yeah, yeah. exactly. That's crazy. That. That is uh, some borderline newsworthy stuff right there. That that I did not see that coming. Somewhere Eric Mensick is weeping. Somewhere. <laughs> By the way, you know who my number three is? PJ and Banasaur. 
I think he might be a huge. Is he still on the team? Yeah, like literally. Actually, he was mentioned, and I didn't. I kind of glossed over this. He was mentioned by Kerry Cooks the other day. Yeah, and I just forgot about it. Well, it's crazy just talking with you know Stephen Parker. It it was amazing to hear him talk about how many guys that are actually back there. Kind of what Josh alluded to. What unit would be the most fun to follow? Offensive linemen, defensive linemen, quarterbacks. I like the I'd say quarterbacks line. because of Baker. Yeah, but if he, if if Baker's not there, because I I just like to follow Baker's interaction with everybody else. Yeah. Plus, I'd like to see his interaction with Lincoln Riley. To be honest with you, when they're when they're breaking down film and going over game plans and putting in game plans, I would imagine he's pretty. You know, sometimes I I think that you see a quarterback and like I don't see. I guess this might be a bad example, but Jared Goff, I don't see breaking down too many, too many defenses. <laughs> I can't. I, it's like well, he doesn't know where the sun rises. It's like <laughs> how did Marshawn Lynch go to Cal? Like I ask myself that all the time. Like I watched some stupid. It's that uh, tank men or the guys that build the tanks in Las Vegas, mm-hmm. the fish tanks, and they built one for Marshawn Lynch and went to his house and everything. It was fascinating. But he is a moron, <laughs> and and maybe he's he's not as dumb as I, as I as he kind of appears on the surface. But like, how did he go to Cal? Marshawn strikes me as the guy that's like savvy, you know, like he gets it like from a what he needs to know level. But yeah, I mean, he's not a guy that would ever I think impress you with his higher learning ability. You know who would be underrated to follow around? Austin Seibert. Really? Because he is super cocky. And I mean, <laughs> Jay Norvell has said, or Jay Norvell, Jay Bulware has said in the past, like he has to try and keep him grounded a little bit because he's too confident at times. It's so awesome that the kicker is the most cocky guy on the team. I would have paid to see what, you know. On a team including Baker Mayfield. I mean, not just like any team, but like, Baker is not hurting for confidence and for Cyber to stick out in that crowd. You know who wouldn't be a bad one is Neville Gallimore. Yeah. Just, you know, him being Canadian, like, again, kind of had the academic stuff, so you kind of wonder about that. But he's a super nice kid. Like, Neville's one of those dudes, like, if you saw him walking the street, you'd be like, that, that does not look like the dude I want to mess with. But the second you talk to him, he smiles and he's friendly, like – he, he's, he'd be an interesting guy to kind of see what his interactions are like. I will say this, and, and this is something I know we're, we're getting off recruiting really early. Ah. Uh, we go back to it. But, uh, you know, I talked to Nick Basquin this week. You know, his mom. Okay, so his, he's, he's from a single family home. Uh, he's a walk on. His mom uh, is a counselor of some sort. I would just love to see how much of a struggle it is for a walk-on day-to-day from a single-parent home that just to, you know, have enough money to, to eat some days. Well, everybody else just goes over to Headington and yeah. pigs out on everything. and I'm sure he has a meal plan over there or something, maybe. Like, how does that work, though? I mean, because there's some things that walk-ons just can't do, right? They or- can't. I mean, yeah, I mean, there are some restrictions. I mean, that's, I don't know, that's, I need to ask him about that. I mean, can he, what, like, when you walk into, 
they're set up now is they have their meeting room. It's in the old dining hall. Uh, and then next to it, they have a bunch of lounge couches and stuff, a lounging area. But then they have like peanut butter and jelly sandwiches laying everywhere, all kinds of protein bars laying everywhere. They B12 drinks. Like, can, he, can he walk in there and get those? That's I what I was know. wondering. Like, the stuff that Tiffany Bird like, puts yeah, together and yeah. is always picturing, can he be part of that? I would feel really bad if he couldn't because I usually snag one of those B12 things when we're in <laughs> Bob there. offers them to us. <laughs> he like, oh, he's like, you guys need a B12 shot? They make me feel good on Mondays. So you really grab one of those? Yeah, they're good. Oh, I'm jealous, Eddie. That sounds good. I'm down. So anyway, but we can we can get back to some team stuff. But the, yeah, the walk-on stuff, I'm going to write some about that. I know other people have, but yeah, I've got some stuff coming on that. Um, just recruiting-wise, I know you know Joe is uh, taking some time and going to Florida and he stopped by uh, in Nashville. But uh, any anything that you took out of that, Josh or Eddie, from talking to Joe? Well, I talked to him a little bit last night, and, you know, Jacob doesn't want to do any interviews for the people that haven't read Joe's comments about that. He had talked to Jacob before he went out there, and he didn't really want to do any interviews, that kind of thing. He was kind of waiting. I think he feels like at this point he didn't have a lot left to say. You know, he's got to take his officials, kind of accumulate that information, then go on. But Joe did have a chance to talk to him, and, you know, we'll touch a little bit on some of the stuff that Joe heard while he was there on the scoop tomorrow, but I, I do get the sense that, you know, however short the list Jacob may have, you know, he's got his five right now. And I think we all, you know, anytime you get to that level, there's two or three that you know kind of stick out. And I definitely get the feeling talking to some other people and talking, you know, to Joe from his conversations, it sounds like OU is, however short that little kind of private list is, OU should be there. You know, whether it's two or three or, you know, only one school's been cut out. Whatever. But, I mean, I think all five have a chance, but I definitely think going into the officials, Oklahoma is in just about as good a spot as anybody. It will be, I think, just from a recruiting standpoint, I'm kind of interested to see uh, if they change what they do on game days. Usually, you know, if people don't know, usually they'll people will get down there at, say it's an 11 o'clock game, guys will get down there at 8. I think they usually serve them breakfast, and then by 9, 9.30, the recruits are actually come out to the field and they stand with like the position coaches and while each while the guys go through the pregame warm-ups and stuff I'm just interested how they how if they change things this year with the uh with the new south end zone being open uh with just I guess different things and different I don't know diff, just different stuff to do down there nowadays well it's going to be tough because they're still going to be under construction the south yeah. end zone and I you know we've been driving by it pretty regularly uh I think they're going to get most of that brick up on the outside. Yeah. I mean, it's... I was doubtful, but they it's amazing it's how much they fast. get done in a yeah, week. Yeah, that outside, they're starting to get the exterior on there. They've got to get, you know, the brick and the those cement access or, or accents or whatever those things are. Uh, but yeah, I, I mean, it is going to be weird because I think everybody has to walk through that to get to their seats in the south end zone. So they've got... they're going the to have south. I mean, they're through the facility there. Yeah. I mean, I'm just interested how they get the players in because last year they had that little thing where they could walk through the gate, yeah. across Jenkins. Right now, are the players going to like walk through like the, the construction south? site? Yeah, yeah. it's kind of weird. All uh, right, guys, I, I've got a little trivia for the first. I think for the first time in the podcast, I think everybody knows I'm a little bit of a sucker for trivia. Well, you going to give away some Johnny's charcoal broiler? I, no, I don't have. Oh God! If I, all right, anybody out there? If if there was Johnny's charcoal broil to be given away, I'd be eating it. Like that—that's all there is to it. I love Johnny's and I miss it. 
who is, you know, assuming OU can land Jacob Phillips, who is the last player they signed from the state of Tennessee? When you're Tennessee. ready for hints, I, I, I'm ready to give them. I, in the Stoops? Has it been in the Stoops era? In the Stoops era, yep. yeah, uh, Fairly recently, actually. Oh, Wesley Horky. That's correct. Can't I know my deep snappers. I know <laughs> deep snapper info. <laughs> and I he is our specialist, so of course he would know it. It would have taken me a long time to get to Wesley Horky. That's the only mind. That's the only guy that I could ever think. I mean, he is the only guy from Tennessee, right? The last one before him it pr- literally predates the Rivals database. It's Justin Williams from like Memphis Trevisant, like way back in 01. See, I don't even remember. Oh no, no, I was barely working for Rivals at that point. That's 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 really going back. I can't even remember the kid. Was he a defensive end? He was a DB. They signed yeah. him late. Like he was a. A kid that one of those kids that like pops up out of the southeast that nobody knows about, and all of a sudden he had like twelve offers in a couple of weeks. I remember that kid. Now he mm-hmm. was small. Yep, yep. I, th- I, I want to say he was a old Prop Forty Eight guy. Like they had to get him in on that or something. There was some academic issue, if I remember right. Like I either he didn't make it in or he wasn't there long. I can't remember which. Let me ask you. I mean, we talked about you know. Early in the show, we were talking about, oh, you've got to have a, a season to back up this recruiting class. Um, it, I would imagine no matter what happens, though, there's going to be somebody that that just drops out. I mean, it's just... Uh, and I know that maybe that's the, you know, woe is me, OU thing that everyone has around the boards all the time. But, I mean, I, there's got to be somebody. Kind of the next... Uh, Trajan Bandy situation that maybe should have seen it before it happened. Yeah, well, I guess you can't. Yeah, Bandy's already dropped it. But, it, you know, it'd have to be somebody outside the Broyles, Barnes, uh, Robison circle that's so that's so tight. Yeah, you know, it's not even woe is me. It's just that's just the way it works. And that's the way when you look at the numbers for Oklahoma to have the commitments they have right now, mathematically, when you look at history of recruiting over the last four or five years, they're going to lose one or two of these guys. That I mean, I don't think it's going to be any huge exodus, but odds are, for whatever reason, they'll lose a guy. And it's a guy I've talked about before, and I know the the buzz has kind of died down since maybe the spring. But Trey Brown is another name yeah. that you hear come up from time to time. Like he's still talking to some schools. He's still looking around. I remember not too maybe a couple of weeks ago, maybe three weeks ago. He, he, I saw he was going back in his TL and retweeting every person that had offered him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So he just does stuff like that, and you're like, hmm, that's interesting. Yeah, like I, I wouldn't bet on it, but it's not something I would rule out either. And, and again, I mean, when I talk to people, they saw Bandy coming. I think with Trey Brown, there's probably a contingency in there for that. I mean, I, I don't think it's something that they feel so far removed from. Now, you look at a guy like Robert Barnes, and I know there was some buzz this week that he had told a Texas site, you know, I may take an official visit down there. Well, literally one of his best friends, you know, or no, no that didn't actually end up happening. I'm gonna, I was going to go into an OBABO reference, but that didn't work. But really, I mean, you, you look at it, and it's possible, but does anybody really think Robert Barnes is going to go anywhere other than Oklahoma? I, I don't see that at all. So, you know, now you do get into the conversation of does that hurt OU 
that a guy that's one of your main you know players out there in front of things trying to tell guys he's bringing hey, people to campus all the time yeah yeah and then but I'm still looking around well that that's a tough sell I said the same when Tate Martell was looking around on A&M but still trying to recruit everybody to A&M you can't have that both ways let me tell you how many let's put it this way here's what's crazy about this like how many 17 year old males like stay with the same girl like you jump around all the time like commitment is not a there big no part there's that's not a big part of your life when you're 17 well, so i'm sure at some point you know every one of these kids they've been committed for so, somebody's going to have to say you know what i'm kind of i'm kind of want something else i'm i kind of want to try something different or you know i'm kind of bored or this is this isn't exciting like it used to i want it to be exciting again they need to change it from uh, commitment to just going with <laughs> He's going with Oklahoma. Yeah, for now. Until then, you say taking my talents too, it doesn't count. Yeah. It's not it's not real until going then. with was like I learned that's like an Oklahoma thing. Like people don't use going with. Like when I was a kid, yeah, if you had a girlfriend, you were going together. But I don't know. Maybe I don't, it's I don't a, know if it's used I have outside that. of Oklahoma. Yeah, much. I don't know if that's universal. Maybe it's a southern thing. I've heard it down in Texas. Have you? Yeah. Yeah, it might be. I mean, it's it's definitely geographical though. But yeah, I don't see them saying it up in Boston. What's funny to me is it's almost, you know, like, Carrie, you hit a great point. Like, it's always, you know, fans will be like, oh, these guys, you know, they don't know what commitment means and blah, blah, blah. And some of those rants have died. I think people have gotten a little more used to this is the way recruiting is now. But at the same time, and you touched on, like, your wife or your girlfriend, it's the same dudes that are on an internet message board, like, mad at us <laughs> because we delete a girl with, like, shaking boobs on the internet. You know, I'm like... Okay, you're telling me how serious you are about your commitment, but you're on a message board, you know, instead of hanging out with your wife while looking your at a girl. Bio with, has you know. your your wife and your two small children, and then you've got bouncing boobs as your signature. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Which is fine. I I'm not against that, but let's just be real and not, you know, and we're not 17, 18. These are 30 year old men. Like that doesn't change. Like you always want things to be more interesting than they actually are. So yeah, I mean, I, 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 trust me, I don't, I don't think we need to name any more names. I don't, I don't think we need Kale Gundy stewing. So that's a terrible thing that you guys are doing, talking about who's going to leave. But you'd never know it if he did it. No, because I'm blocked. <laughs> get over it. He'll get over it. <laughs> I thought you were telling me to get over. No, it. he'll I, get I, over. I kind of thought you were too. Um, you guys want to talk about uh, the opener, the season opener? Do a little something we, we haven't done on the podcast, which is I have to cut up a lot of audio anyway for radio show. Uh, but I think it might be good to kind of give you guys a summary of some of the things that we talked about uh, with the players and the coaches. And kind of one of the storylines I'm working on is story uh, still yet to be printed. I'm behind, by the way. I know that. We've got some, I got a bunch of stuff to crank out. Um, play in Houston. And it was weird, Eddie, because we walk up to practice. And you see a, a whole group of refs. Yeah. This was like on a Tuesday. No, this was Monday. That was, was Monday, Monday morning. And they just scrimmaged on Saturday. And so you see all these refs flying out. And I'd, I'd gotten this, this email tip. There's more of a DM from a guy that's a, an official. And he's, he works um, the chain gang. And he was like, hey... You know they're asking the chain gang to come out to practice, and that's never that never has really happened before. 
is there something going on you know about? And I think what it is is they just want to have people out there that can set the ball, wind the clock, get it started. So if they have like GAs doing it or trainers, they might not have the the urgency that real officials do. I think it's just different having guys that aren't with the team out there. Yeah, you know, I mean they're day. out there. Those officials are coming out there. They're getting ready for the season. And so they're working hard to do all that stuff. And I think the reason they're doing it is because they're playing Houston, which is an up-tempo team. And they, I mean, let's face it, the biggest challenge in this, and we hear Mike Stoops screaming in the press box all the time, getting guys lined up before the snap and having new guys facing a tempo team. And so I talked to, to Mike Stoops and Tim Kish about that, uh, how important tempo is this week in practice. Mike, it, not just because it's Houston, but any team that's up-tempo you start the year with, does that give you more urgency in camp? I don't know, bring more refs in more often? It does, but, you know, our offense plays at such a high speed every yeah. day. I mean, we see everything they give us, you know. So, you know, our quarterback's pretty athletic guy, too, and creates a lot of plays with his feet. So we see that speed continuously. You know, every practice is like that. So... That's not any different for us. But something you're always preaching regardless, I guess. Yeah, I mean, you have to, for young players, I, I think it's where you see it, you know, just guys that aren't used to playing at that speed. But most of our veterans, guys that have started, we've got some young guys, but, you know, and that's been something they've had to learn to do is play at this this type of speed. Is the key that just, just knowing your defense, knowing what the calls are? Just knowledge, yeah, and getting comfortable and knowing what the adjustments are. But, you know, they've they've done well. Well, that's that's true across the board now, you know, just with all the college offenses. And, you know, we're spread out and, and you got these athletic quarterbacks that make you have to defend the entire field. So you have to have athletes on the field that can do it. And, uh, you know, we, we respect all those guys that have that ability to, to cause us that problem. And uh, uh, Houston will be the first uh, task and the only task we're thinking of right now. So, uh, uh, you know, we're trying to. Uh, we're trying to battle back with, uh, again, putting better athletes and more athletes on the field and, uh, and then uh, having that awareness that we gotta, we got to get set and get ready because they're going to go at a high speed and, uh, and we've got to be prepared for that. Is, is, I know everybody's got to know what they're doing, but is Jordan Evans really critical in that situation, being the, the guy in the middle? He is just because of his experience right now. He has such a good knowledge of you know, what offenses are doing. He understands formations, down and distances, tendencies, and all those things with personnel. So that's important for us. Jordan helps a bunch there, but the rest of them have to know it too as well, and that's that's my job to make sure they're ready. Now, I haven't asked you this, Josh, but uh, are you going to go to the game since it's in Houston? I actually am. Uh, myself, uh, Tiffany M., and probably the mom-in-law will all be there. The, uh, the baby is going to be left at home because that is a um, – you know, there's no better way to put it. That's a shit show to take a child to a game, so – we're, we're, we're going to skip that one. Have you but, been the um, cusser before? I think he has been. Yeah, yeah he, he was has. the cusser before. He's now two and I'm one. Okay. Yeah. Oh, ah, yeah. I like to take the lead. Um, it's always shit, yeah, too. No, Why so, is it always shit? That's always the word. Is it just because that's the, the most... F-bomb feels a little lead. No, I don't want... Ba- I don't want to... I might, I might leap get in, an F-bomb. We got to get into football season mode for that to happen. Yeah. Like, son of a bitch. See, How come it's never like that? I... <laughs> I feel like of the three of us, I think people would expect that I cuss the least, and I don't think there's any question I cuss more than you two do. I don't like, know about that. People that are around me, I cuss a lot. A like lot. In, when you went to Austin with your boys, it was it was F this and F you and, and all that? 
Oh, yes. Like, I don't think, no, I literally, I came home that day, and it's almost like you've got to turn it off, and I was uh, not in the mental capacity to turn it off, and I kept saying stuff to Tiffany, and you could tell she was like, stop, like, what are you talking about? Where's my husband? Where'd he go? So I had to take, like, 24 hours to get back into a mental mode of, like, oh, yeah, I'm a dad and a husband again, so... Well, it, it, you know, we heard about the tempo stuff. I, I think that's going to be huge. And it's huge on both sides. I mean, Baker Mayfield, and that's one thing a lot of, you know, Mike and Timbo said is, hey, we've got Baker Mayfield. we got a guy that runs around. Uh, he makes us, you know, chase things and get out of position, stuff like that. So uh, if they get, and they're scrimmaging today, and so maybe that's part of it too. Maybe they want to have more scrimmages. Uh, but there's no doubt. This is so different, Eddie, you know, having a season opener like this. Uh, against a top 15 team that uh, I, I'm trying to think there's never has there ever been an opener like this in the Stoops era no I, th- I think the just the for BYU the, I guess the e- is the that's the thing. easy comparison is yeah. BYU I don't think that they were nearly as as good as Houston I guess in the preseason polls but uh, you know it, it's just interesting that all this is happening Kerry with they're they're literally two weeks into practice and they're start and they're starting to to kind of shift that attention to Houston. And so I think that kind of signals just how big they know this game is, how big, uh, just how, how big the implications it could be on their season. Uh, if you're trying to get back to a, a playoff, if you're trying to win a national championship, uh, this, this game is very important. And I think that uh, what has happened in the past years with, uh, with Stoops teams in their first game of the season, how slow they started against Akron a season ago, uh, you know how bad, how poorly they played in the first half before Sam got hurt in uh, Dallas. Yeah, I think it's kind of all culminating to uh, to maybe just them being a little bit more aware of of how big of a I guess a, a contest this this could be with Houston. By the way, I can already see Josh in the parking lot uh, tailgating <laughs> with his mother in law. It's a Quino <laughs> having is... having all kinds of Quino. That's so telling because literally, like, Tiffany's family is much fancier than mine, like, it, to a to a staggering degree. Like, I've, ha- I've had moments like that. I remember one of the first meals Tiffany made me, literally, and this is not even set up, had me And I was like, what the hell is this? What am I eating? And, you know, and it was good, but I had no idea what it was until, like, halfway through. So What was um, it? But at the same time, as far as mother-in-laws go, in case she ever Charleston's. hears this, I, I'm fortunate. Like she, she <laughs> is a tailgating lady. They they tailgate for like there's a big um, like Christmas festival kind of thing down here. It's like a, it's basically a, a excuse for shopping for like Christmas goods and Christmas like presents and all this stuff. And they do it right next door to NRG. So you've got that huge stadium. My mother-in-law and Tiffany and several of their friends, they tailgate this thing. Like, they've got drinks out there at, like, 8 a.m. before the doors open and stuff. Like, so while they're definitely a lot fancier than I am, they definitely still have the tailgating roots that they need. That's impressive. It's, 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 not, it's not to be taken lightly. It's pretty serious. This is the tailgate theme right here for Josh's tailgate, apparently. Everything's in slow motion. Josh is putting on the, the they, paint on his they, chest. They've got mimosas instead <laughs> of beer. You have to go mimosas before 11 a.m. I'm very passionate about that's that. That's true. I, I'm a Bloody Mary guy pre-11 a.m. Yeah. I can do a bloody. That's, that, that's usually the way I go. That's, I just don't drink before 11 a.m. That, oh, God. That's what you need. 
I don't like day drinking. I just I never have. Oh, I've right. tried it. There's it nothing doesn't suit me. There's nothing like a good solid day drink and yeah. a weekday day drink. Of course, I use drinking to go to bed, so I'm kind of conditioned. <laughs> if I don't drink something, I'll just stay up all night. That that may speak to something, Carrie. I I don't know what that means, but it doesn't seem good. Before the season, I need to write a uh, a guide to day drinking column. You like drinking and golfing, though. That's like your comfort zone. Yeah. I like drinking and doing a lot of things. Is it possible to play golf and not drink? Like, I don't really... That's true. Yeah. That that seems defeatist. That that seems against the whole point. Couple club specials. Yeah. What's a club special? It's like a... Uh, the most delicious drink in the world would be the best way to put it, but... I don't even know what they put in them. It's I vodka, have no idea. Vodka and lemonade. I think it's lemonade. I don't usually watch the lady drink them. We always, the best ones oh, yeah, I always em. had were, we could actually have a whole podcast about that. The quality drinks around the Oklahoma City area. And I used to always get mine off of, um, oh, on Western, uh, one of the places uh, down by like 39th or something. Um Oh, what is the name of that bar? We used to go there for years, and Club Special was literally, but you couldn't drink two. Like you don't, you don't want to get crazy on the Club Specials. Like two, three, you're going to go into danger pretty quickly. Yeah, you know what? What used to just kill me the first time I ever had it, and I, I, it was so good. I didn't realize how much alcohol was in it, but at Louis, the Long Island iced tea. Yeah, those will knock you on your ass. Louise can make a, a good stiffy. They've made Man. some good drinks. Uh, okay, here's one thing I want to talk about. And I know everybody is always interested in this. And every time we write an article, it goes bonkers on our analytics. But uh, newcomers, uh, new impact guys, guys that have redshirted that they haven't heard of or heard from. Uh, and, Eddie, I thought the most interesting thing that happened this week was when I asked uh, Tim Kish about Arthur McGinnis because... I don't think anybody was like, uh, I wonder how Arthur McGinnis is, is doing this year. It's like people just kind of gave up on him after last year. Uh, but here's Tim Kish. Uh, you know what? Arthur has made the most improvement of anybody here. I mean, where he was a year ago, uh, you know, was less than a turtle's uh, speed, you know, out in the field. I mean, he, he just gained way too much weight, and he just wasn't, you know, ready to move around. And uh, uh, I'm so proud of him right now because he's totally focused and tuned in, and, and he's running around, and he's doing a really good job right now. So he's, you know, he's, he's, he's given us the ability to create some depth, which is what we're trying to do right now. And, you know, he's still working – Josh at, at middle linebacker, which I, I always thought, okay, he gained weight. Now he can just move to defensive end because he was such a dominant Russian in high school. Uh, but, I, I mean, he's been the biggest mystery, uh, I think, of all the guys they've signed in the last couple of years. Yeah, I think because he was kind of that late addition to the class, not, not as in a guy that they didn't want, but just he took a while to make his decision. I think in, uh, pretty much, Kerry, for you and I, introduced us to what Snapchat. Isn't that where he announced his commitment? Yes, that, he did. Yeah, and I, I was like, I don't know what that is. So, you know, I, I'd heard of it, but I had no idea how to access it. Anyway, um, uh, away from old man Josh. But, yeah, I mean, McGinnis was a guy that people forget. You know, and, you know, I, I know the size is an easy thing to talk about, 
But you mentioned it. I mean, he played a lot more defensive end in high school than he did linebacker. So everybody just assuming, well, he's big enough and he's strong enough. He's just going to go step into that role. I don't know that that was very realistic. And I, I probably fell prey to it a little bit as well. But he needed that time. But I, I, I hadn't heard um, that comment or hadn't read it anywhere, Kerry, um, where Kish was saying he had you know, advanced more than anybody. That, that's pretty – that's pretty impressive and something that you would have to think puts him in line to, you know, get some mop-up duty. Maybe you see him in that home opener. Uh, well, definitely special teams. He'll be, I think he'll be a big part of that this year. Kish actually said that he would be a part of every special teams, yeah. I think, in that interview. Yeah. it's He's, he's going to be a guy that can contribute in those areas. Now, well, you think he'd be a good up-back kind of guy. Yeah, I can see that. Ooh, Fake punt, Arthur McGinnis. Throw it to him. Or just snap it to him, let him run. You know what would be, uh, or, or what to me is the biggest irony out of fall camp so far, is all the jokes about Lackawanna and Tim Kish last year. Uh, and then it turns out that Capri Doucette and Emmanuel Beal have become the two biggest names in terms of guys that are stepping up ready to make an impact. Yeah. It, it, it's blown me away every time that we've talked with Mike Stoops about uh, Capri, Capri Doucette. I don't think there's a player that he's been as high on as Capri here in the last couple weeks. Well, here's Mike right here. He, he I, plays a lot of different positions. Uh, again, our, our outside linebackers are interchangeable guys and pieces. And, you know, he has a, he has a lot of Eric in him. You know, he's that type of speed and quickness. Doesn't have the experience, you know, Eric had at this point. But, um, you know, he's has really progressed well. And I get the sense it's been really confusing talking to people about where he is on the field. He's basically Devontae Bond from a year ago. Like, you got Obi or Obo. I'm getting screwed. OSU has a guy named Obi now. It's a freshman receiver that's supposed to be playing. Obo uh, is basically doing what Stryker did last year, from what I can gather. So he's going to be an outside linebacker rush edge guy. And then Will Johnson will be on the other side where Bond was. But they can replace Will Johnson with Capri Doucette and have he and Obo on the field at the same time. That's, that's what I'm gathering out of this. It has really tripped people out when they hear Will Johnson's name with the linebacker group, I feel like. Yeah. But, I mean, he is, he's, he's a playmaker for them. He yeah. was a year ago. And now he's going to be a starter. He's going to be on the field all the time. It should. I mean, you think about that. Stephen Parker's a guy. I think he's made some plays, but I think he has so much more potential to be even better. Ahmad Thomas made a lot of plays last year. Uh, Jordan Thomas, you know, you know, he's really good. Uh, and then Dakota Johnson had two picks, I think, last year in those three games uh, yeah, that he played. He had one against Tech and one against Iowa State. So, I mean, there's a there's an opportunity to 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 be a really good turnover defense i think they feel like if they can just get any type of rush on the quarterback get any type of play up front they're going to be fine on the back end josh what do you remember about capri set when he was coming out well okay before i go into that we we've had a dakota johnson instead of dakota austin and i carrie these are becoming almost weekly for you the uh the name slips who the hell is dakota johnson She's an actress. I think she was the chick in. Uh, Damn the 50 it! Shades I of was Grey. reading this morning. I was doing show <laughs> prep and the Fifty Shades of Grey thing. 
They're, the the sequel's coming out. She's from Austin, though, so it's a Big 12 community. God. Oh, hey, there you go. I, I uh, wake up, damn it, I wake up at 4 o'clock every morning, okay? <laughs> I haven't had a nap. Carrie's on his ninth hour of radio this morning. I am. I really am. Oh, God. Uh, Dakota, no, Austin. With, 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 with Capri, like, I liked him coming out of high school. Or, excuse me, out of Lackawanna. What is funny to me, though, is the guy from Lackawanna that no one is talking about is the guy from Lackawanna that was a midterm guy, had a ton of huge offers, and that it was clear OU wanted from the start, and that's Ashton Julius. Yeah. Nobody's His talking about him at all. Never comes up. Yeah. He's not but, he's not he's not even in the running for that the the top six spots on the interior. Yeah. Yeah. I mean it's it's I haven't heard him mentioned once. So that that you know that's kind of funny how that comes around. He looks but yeah, good, I mean the the thing that surprises me is that it seems to be in reverse. Everybody thought Doucette was going to come in and compete for that spot opposite Jordan Evans on the inside, and Beal was going to be like depth at outside linebacker. Well, now we hear Beal's working inside and Doucette's outside. And the thing that's crazy to me is when Mike compares Doucette's quickness and speed to Stryker. Like, I thought he was super athletic, but boy, I didn't see that on tape. So if that's, if that's the case and he can be, you know, even in limited action – that kind of guy that can force, you know, running backs to move away, well, then you've got, you know, either he or Oboe in blitz situations working one-on-one with a running back or a tight end, man, that that opens up a lot of possibilities with the way they can go in that package. So that's, um, like I said, that could be a huge eventual steal. But I can say there were coaches that were very into Doucette. I mean, he had Arkansas, Arizona State. I mean, he had some good options. But, I mean, the the – Kind of early excitement over him definitely surprises me. And really, you can't say that Julius is a bust because him being here probably in, you know directly helped getting Doucette and Beal in. By the way, here's Mike Stoops talking about uh, Emmanuel Beal. He's picked up things um, extremely well. Uh, I think he understands what we're trying to do. I don't know why it wasn't longer. So, yeah, I mean, uh, there's probably a lot more to that. I don't know where it went. <laughs> well, he knows what they want him to do, so... Uh, but yeah, I mean, Beal, I had heard, you know, he had the bust on Mixon on the, the big 70 yard touchdown run, but I had also heard that, you know, outside of that, he was fantastic in the first major scrimmage and he's playing where he's playing Dominic Alexander's, uh, old position, which will be interesting. Cause I mean, he was a guy, even, you know, in this day and age of, all the junior colleges have in roster pages, and you know you see what they've got them listed at. I think they had Ashton Julius at like six eight three fifty five or something, and he shows up to OU. And I think OU's got him at like six five three thirty. So even in that lofty, we're willing to add thirty pounds and three inches. Beal was like six two one ninety five. I mean that's that's smaller than Dominique Alexander reported to OU out of high school. So I'm really yeah. interested to see. Like, he looks I don't like have a any doubt. Athletically, he can do what they want him to do. But can he take on a guard in that three that three man front? That's going to be really interesting to watch. He looks like a safety, and I mean, I, I'm not sure. Tay Evans. I mean, he's 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 big. He's fast. He's the guy that you want in there. He's been out a lot. And I think that's been frustrating for him. Uh, so I, yeah, I wouldn't say. I would say Doucette, From what we're hearing, Eddie. He's more the guy that can step up and be a real playmaker for yeah. you. I think Beal's more like a, a stopgap a little bit. I think Beal, if if Beal's making a ton of plays, something bad has happened. Is that bad he, to say? He's the Brandon Crow. Yeah, I mean, 
And mm. I guess that's kind of a hit at Brandon Crow and Emmanuel Bill. But dare you talk about Comanche like that? I, I feel like I just I don't know. There's so much good talked about when you when you talk uh, to players about a guy like Oboe. If he doesn't come out and just tear it up the first three games, they're in, I think they're in serious yeah, trouble. No, at that's linebacker. a great point because that, that's yep. Everybody talks about what a freak he is, all the stuff he can do. I've talked to people that, that have said, look. He can only do one thing. Like he can rush the passer. He's fantastic at that. If you ask him to cover people, uh, you know, to do things on the back end, you're in trouble. Yeah, and it and that was the same thing with Stryker, though. I mean, you know, they had that one spring where it's like, oh, they're playing Stryker at nickel, and I was just like, yeah, that's that's yeah. great for practice, but that's never gonna work, and it never did. I mean. They, they were able to get around it because I think Bond was so... He was the guy that they... You remember, like, the Tennessee game. I remember Bond dropping back in coverage, and there was a pass he should have picked off. Like, he was really good at that stuff. So they could... When they needed somebody to drop back in coverage, they could use Bond to do that. Now, can Doucette be that guy? I don't know. Yeah. And when, don't forget, Devontae Bond doesn't play in the Texas game. They lose the game. Well, you know, it's something... Play. even. Even over the last yeah. couple of years, uh, you know, when no, Bond when he didn't was, play in Texas. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, I said that wrong. When um, when he played, you know, when he was getting that spot time, you never thought like Oboe doesn't belong out there athletically or physically. He just kept making mental mistakes, stuff that was really, and stuff that frankly he should know. But I, I again, kind of go back to the Arthur McGinnis point. People don't remember Oboe was like not even a defensive end for Elif Taylor. He was a he was like a defensive tackle nose tackle for Elif at like 230 pounds. But he just was so active that he could kind of you know he'd shoot gaps. But he never played anybody for strength. But it's such a massive change for him to go from kind of shading the center to I'm lining up outside of a tight end. I mean the, the responsibilities are just astronomically different. But something I wanted to ask you guys, I meant to ask it earlier when we were kind of talking about the situation. You guys were talking about Will Johnson and what a great playmaker he's been for OU. My thought is, do you think it's a repercussion of a couple of years ago when they tried to make that switch from Julian Wilson from going from the nickel to playing a, a true corner? Do you think that's maybe why Johnson hasn't gotten that look at corner there where they clearly have a spot? Because at that point they then have two guys trying to adjust to new positions? It's weird. I mean, they've always been hesitant about that. I think they just liked him at the nickel, um, liked him as that extra. But, you know, he covers really well. It, but I think he's too small to be a safety. But, you know, it, I just think that they feel like they've got better guys that can cover full time at the corner position. And he's better suited as a as a guy that's not handling the other team's best receivers. He just he really surprised me last year. Will Johnson did. I I didn't really know what to expect, but he you know, going back through the film and that we had of the uh, Texas Tech game, the Kansas State game, those types of games. It was just it was amazing to see how well he played in those games and how big of a spark plug he was almost off the bench for OU. It's uh, it's going to be really interesting. I. I <laughs> I don't know if it was one of the stories that we put put up on the board, but it was funny talking to Will on uh, Tuesday, and uh, he was telling us that the night before the uh, Kansas State game that he started, he didn't tell any of his family that he was starting. He knew that he was starting, but he didn't tell anybody because he was so nervous. And I guess his big thing is the night before games is he he sleeps on the floor. He takes all the 
blankets and stuff off of his hotel bed, sleeps on the floor, and uh, blasts the heater. I don't know how people can do that, but oh god, that's awful. It was it was kind of interesting. Now, you know, do, do I remember this right? Will Johnson didn't start against Texas, right? And then the next week was K State. Am I remembering that right? I'd have to go look at the participation I, report. I think that's right. And we all know Hattari Bird started against Texas, and that was literally the end of his show, and Stephen Parker took over from there. Is there – you know, that seems like that's always been a theme. Like when OU loses that Texas game, yeah, that's, that's right. when they make all these changes. Like in changes that sometimes people have been talking about for a little while is uh, – I don't know what – I mean, do they have to lose a game? Like I don't really understand that because – I think everybody felt like Bird's got some questions here. There, there was always that thought that you know Parker maybe should have moved ahead of him. That kind of thing. Is it just like something has to go wrong to prove that the you know maybe the guy that we're more comfortable with has to play? That that's always been a weird question for me of why it seemed like after the Texas game, especially if they lost, was when they were comfortable starting to make some real change. Well, yeah, and I think you know the offensive line. It w- that was the case there yeah. too. Uh, yeah, you, right. know, you never saw Josiah St. John start after that game, really even play. It's amazing. Now he's the first round draft, draft choice in the Canadian number football one league. pick. Yeah, number one. Uh, but no, I mean, it, I think in the running game. I mean, you, they had to admit uh, that the running game just wasn't working at that point. They had to. Uh, you remember in that game? I remember that they were playing. They weren't doing the two back stuff like. And they went to that. They had Dimitri Flowers on the field a lot, uh, and they were successful when he was on the field. But then they would go back to the single back, and it just, yeah. I mean, it made both sides of the ball. I think take a take a hard look at uh, you know what they were doing. It felt like in the er, like the the Mac Bob like the early years. OU always came out with a twist for Texas. You know whether it was the. You know, uh, oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna blank out on something like I the one I remember real particularly was uh, Chioki on Yenagetcha. They they ran that corner blitz on Texas that year like five times. Like they just kept calling it and it kept working. And maybe they do and we just don't notice them. But I feel like now it's become like I wonder if it's a thing where they feel like they can just go out and do what they do and beat Texas and not need to be that you know sneaky or trying to keep things back for Texas anymore. But it just doesn't seem like you see the same things before the Texas game as you do, like like you mentioned, the two-back stuff after the Texas game. That, that's just always been interesting how that's kind of changed through the years to me. Well, let me, let, let's hit on one other, a couple other things here. I mean, Caleb Kelly, Mark Jackson, um, I, you know, that's something a lot of people, I, even coming in, even Mike Stoops left that open, like we're going to need these guys to help out. And so I think from that point, everybody's like, well, Okay, maybe Caleb Kelly can challenge, you know, Oboe for that starting spot. And I think he's I think Mark Jackson is just behind technically. Uh, I think some fundamental things just from watching him that one day in practice, yeah. you could tell like fundamentally he's just not there yet. That like, was the day that we actually saw like Oboe was taking him to the side and was like working on his hands yeah. and working on his technique. But you could see like Mike was spending a lot of extra time with him and he was getting frustrated just doing simple dummy drills and stuff. Uh, because he wasn't able to do it exactly like you know everybody else was doing it, so I think there's going to be a learning curve for for Mark Jackson. I think Caleb Kelly just the knee sprain and he's back now. Uh, but if you're a true freshman, it's like, that was a, Charles Walker. I said, what's been the most impressive thing about Amani Bledsoe? He said he stayed healthy. I mean, because fre- you know true freshmen come in all the time. I mean, Abdul Adams has been hurt. Michael Jones has been hurt. Caleb Kelly's been hurt. 
everybody, you know, it's it's physically those guys don't hold up, and Caleb Kelly hasn't been able to hold up, and it's it's put him behind. But I'm not saying that that knocks him out for the rest of the year. I think at some point he will contribute, but he is not, you know, the ready to go so much better athletically than everybody else uh, that you can't keep him off the field, guy. How much do you think it? It, it is about those first three games and not to say they can't let them grow, but they need to start. They're starting to prepare for the guys that are actually going to contribute and play in the game. How much do you think that plays into that decision? If they were opening up with Louisiana, Monroe, Akron, and another bullshit team, yeah. do you think it would be different? I, I think, yeah, I think they'd have you know, more scrimmages allowing guys to get out there and get reps. Although with all the injuries, a lot of guys have been getting reps that They've had you know, probably wouldn't have had reps yeah. at this point. So, but I, I just think the mentality, yeah, there's, there's no question when you're opening up with, uh, you know, like Oklahoma State opened up with Southeast Louisiana, you're not, you're not really stressed if you don't feel like you have the exact right guard. Yeah. Like, you can go into the opening game and say, well, we're going to throw this guy out there, and if he doesn't perform like we want him to, we'll try somebody else. You, you don't have that luxury going into game one. It's interesting. Uh, uh, Kish was asked about it on Tuesday. Just, you know, how big of a deal is it when you lose a guy? They, I think they were talking about Tay Evans. How big was it that Tay Evans has missed a couple days of practice? And, uh, you know, I thought it was interesting. Kish said, you know, a couple days we can work with. When he gets past two days, two, three days, that becomes a problem. You need to get start getting those guys in there to get reps, to get uh, even mental reps while they're standing there. Well, and that's, uh, that's to me, like Alvarez's situation, which is so Crazy. weird. I mean, we noticed uh, yesterday, they OU put out a little thing on the offensive line, and you could tell they had the starting lineup out there, and Alvarez wasn't even in it. It, it was Eric Wren who... For my money, was the story of the week last week. Yeah, I just that it's Another that's a real on. thing. That is a real thing. He could start, and then uh, Alex Dalton, obviously back at practice, right, starting at right guard, and then Samia at right tackle is what the what the tease was. So I, I mean, I, you know, going into it, yeah, I mean, you you got to have some urgency. You got to get ready to go now. One one of the big positions in camp is obviously that uh, corner position opposite. We're the basically the one left by Zach Sanchez, and you know we've written about it. Dakota Austin, he seems to be the guy that is locking down that position. But uh, you know you have PJ and Banasor out there, but you've also got Micaiah Quick, and his progress I think has been really impress impressive. But I did ask Mike Stoops about Quick and Austin earlier this week. Yeah, Micaiah continues to you know show progress and. You know, push, uh, you know, push his way along, and Dakota's had a good camp as well. So, you know, we're just trying to keep developing all our players. Uh, you know, it'll, it'll work its way out as we get closer to game time. Uh, you know, what our two deep looks like, but I still think there's, you know, we're a long way away from, you know, settling a lot of positions. Uh, you got to give everyone an opportunity to compete and. You know, some some guys are making more plays than others, but uh, you know, and then other guys are just young in the process that need to continue to learn and push themselves to, to understand, 
you know what we're trying to do on defense, but uh, been, you know overall, I think we're 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 headed in a in a positive direction. I think the real question we need to ask is: Does Dakota Austin believe in mermaids? <laughs> I could. If you uh, haven't watched Hard Knocks, yeah, I could. You don't see know. it. I don't think he's the type of guy that you know. He's he's, he's not. He's got that, that Lancaster attitude. And he talks about it a lot. He's punching somebody if they believe in mermaids. <laughs> That's the strangest thing I've ever like. I, I I tweeted about it yesterday. Like I don't understand the guy's case. Like I, I don't get it. I can't wrap my head around it. I do because- kind of get it. He's saying that because the water would not have caught on fire, which I don't think is true. That there would have been a lot of dinosaurs in the ocean that survived. But the I ocean think, would have boiled, bro. Like it doesn't burn, but it'll cook. Yeah, but that's his. That's his stance. I, my, my bigger problem with. But then people said, "What about against, alligators?" And he was like, "No." So all reptiles or dinosaurs? No, that was his response. His argument against dinosaurs was nobody had ever seen one, <laughs> but he believes in mermaids, like that nobody has ever seen. Yeah, I don't understand, like how that, like it feels like a stick, like it's something that. I don't know. Like he started out with when he was like ten, and his family made fun of him to the point like he just backed into the corner. Like he's got a good <laughs> roll with it now. And um, why does he have dinosaurs all over in his locker? That's weird. I didn't know if like teammates put that stuff there. I or? bet that's what it is. I bet they they bring their little kids dinosaurs and put them in his locker. I, well, what's his nickname? Is he Merman? Like that's what I would call him. <laughs> <laughs> I can't judge the guy. I everybody believes their own things. Like I I think Stevie Wonder can see so. Well, I mean, he has a little really? bit. He, yeah, that is true. There's been there's been YouTube. There are YouTube That's conspiracy fact. videos out there. That's fact. He that. can see. I mean, I know that one hundred percent. How how do you know that? 100%? There's too much too much video out there that he can definitely see. It shows like he's sitting down and he yeah, has a chair is there's there. this there's this one like he the uh, his mic stands about to fall and he just reaches out and grabs it. Six cents, man. Man, mm, I don't. Have know. you guys seen the one about? Um, the guy that we know as Paul McCartney is not actually Paul McCartney. Like, he was like a fill-in for the Beatles for now, like, 50 years. That's mm. like a big conspiracy thing. Like, and it's, there's all this proof that's supposed to be, like, there's a, there's a documentary about it. Like, about how he is not, he was some other guy, and he basically just became Paul McCartney because they needed him to be that guy. And there's and it, all these. So this goes back to the Abbey Road thing where he didn't have shoes on. Exactly. Yeah, like there. some of that stuff. Like there, I, yeah, my there was a big Paul McCartney is dead Paul. thing. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Back in the '60s. Or what whatever. a lucky guy. Seriously. It's like Dave. That show about the president. I don't think I've seen that. That's a fantastic show. Oh, that's strong. Kevin Klein. Kevin Klein. Is a is a presidential impersonator, and the real president has a stroke, and so they they don't want to the country to know that the president is is in a coma. Okay. So they bring in the impersonator. He makes the world better because he's a better person. <laughs> Sigourney Weaver's kind of hot in that. I will need to check that out. It's not bad. All right, we've been running on for a while. Uh, I think we're about ready to wrap it up here. Uh, look, there's so much more to be played out in camp. I do think that we we have a pretty good idea of what a two deep would be. Um, I think the receiver position is still the most unknown out of all the positions that are out there. Would you agree, Eddie? And Josh? Which position? The receiver position. Yeah, very much. Yeah. 
Because I, I do think that if there's one uh, receiver that's I think everybody would know about through the first couple weeks of camp is A.D. Miller. And then after that, uh, there's a lot of unproven guys. I mean, I think even even a D.D. Westbrook has a little bit to prove going into the season. And, and I think, you know, I was talking to a buddy last night about this. I think that everything on the offensive side of the things, everything that kind of tones everybody down is the fact that they have Samaj P. Run and Joe Mixon back there. And if things go bad in the passing game, they should be able to run the ball. But I, you, you don't want to be able to, or you don't want to have to have to fall back on that. And, uh, you know, Mark Andrews even, he goes into the season with 19 career catches. That's, that's going to obviously go up, but they're going to need to see a lot more play out of him. And, uh, and guys like Jarvis Baxter, you don't know what you're going to get out of Jordan Smallwood, uh, Jeffrey Mead. I mean, the list goes on and on. There's a bunch of question marks, and uh, how is Oklahoma going to be able to fit those in? And, uh, you know, good thing is they're not having to break in a new quarterback. I think that that obviously goes a long way, and especially with it being Baker Mayfield. I, I do worry, and everyone should worry. If anybody, Clemson should worry if they lose to Sean Watson, but that's, that's going to be really tough if, if something happens and Austin Kendall has to play a big role this year. Yeah, well... I, I I guess that's why you have I say those running backs, you can you can put it back onto the line. onto the running backs yeah. and uh, just let him do a little bit. I I I think I put it on the board a couple weeks ago. I'm this is I'm probably going to be wrong about this, but I'm buying big time into Dimitri Flowers and how they use him. Wow, the one one of the things that's like interesting that? to me is, and I know you guys. Sorry, I'm doing it. I'm texting about something while you're doing this. <laughs> We have with we have. With, I'm just gonna. I won't say what it is, but there's, it is 12:40, and there's a bad story that's getting ready to happen. Oh, in, uh, in, in our market, it involves OU football, and oh. it's not. It's it's health related. Oh, so I'll just say that. Okay, damn, that's not good. Oh, it's it's Austin Kendall now the starting quarterback. Never mind. Uh, hold on. We're getting breaking news via text. Hold on, everyone. Okay. Uh, so we had gotten a post on the board while we're doing this podcast. That. Uh, ooh. See, now this is going to get out there, and then people are going to be mad. But told that Bill Bedenboe had uh, was had passed out and an ambulance came and all that's true but uh i'm now getting word that everything is fine he got dehydrated uh and it's gonna be okay so it's scary i see this is one of those things like, i'll just I'll, I'll take you inside since we're on the podcast like it showed up on the board i've deleted it twice Eddie deleted it um i'm gonna have to go address it but at the same time, it's like, you know, it's it's probably going to be bad that it even has to get addressed because nothing's going to come out of it. But it's like, you know, this stuff now that most times wouldn't get out. And it's just at this age we're in where everybody has a cell phone or knows somebody. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's just weird. I mean, we're doing the podcast and I'm having to try and track this down. And we did. And it's everything's going to be fine. But I don't know. I don't know what I'm saying. It's it's really strange. That I feel, stuff happens. I feel you know, terrible. 
Eddie remembers we had an incident earlier uh, during the five star where a recruit uh, was talking about one of the assistant coaches and had you know they had some um, I guess you'd say I, Eddie I don't want to give away too much some familiar illnesses within each of their family some some stuff had happened similarly to each of them and I you know we had to get in touch with the coach and be like listen you know do you, do you want to keep this quiet. And we did. We had to kind of squash it and run a little different angle on the story. But, I mean, that that stuff just gets out. And it's not anybody's, you know, the person posting on the board was not ill-intentioned. And certainly the recruit that was talking about it was doing it out of just a, you know, an interview, um, just a basic interview, just answering a simple question. And he was answering it the best he could. And so it ended up kind of releasing some information that maybe wasn't supposed to be out there. So, I mean, that, that stuff – it just happens, and you know, like you said, it's it's kind of one of those things where it's almost impossible to keep stuff like that quiet. Where ten, fifteen years ago, nobody would have ever known about this. Yeah. So anyway, I I mean, I'm gonna put something on the board, but yeah, I, I guess Bill Beatenbow got dehydrated, passed out. Uh, ambulance came, uh, getting some fluids, and he's gonna be fine. Uh, but uh, yeah, a little bit of a scary situation. After Definitely not today. something that you want to read about. Just knowing how intense he is, Whew. and yeah, I mean, he's a big guy and he's very intense. And the, the thing that's weird is those coaches, like, they're protecting themselves from skin cancer, so they're always wearing long sleeve stuff. I mean, like they're out there in the sun, and they're you know either wearing sweats uh, or full you know pullovers, so they're sweating their butts off. Yeah, they're they're losing a lot of water. And the crazy and thing, too, is it's all because they don't want to have their skin always getting exposed to the sun and develop skin cancer. And the wild thing, to, I guess, today would be a huge teaching point just for the fact that it's not a hot day up here. No, I mean, it's it's, it's overcast. It's yeah. perfect out. But obviously, uh, very scary stuff and good to hear that he's going to be okay. So anyway, yeah, that's how our podcast ends with me scrambling to try and find <laughs> something out. Uh, There's always was- something going on, whether these people <laughs> want to believe it or not. Yeah, and normally like we'd hear about that and it wouldn't be on the board and we could just let it go, but it's come up a couple times. I'm sure people have seen it, and that's something we always kind of battle. Uh, but anyway, it, before we get out of here, Josh, anything you want to add on the recruiting front? You know, nothing beyond what we talked about. I mean, I, I think, you know, there's still some guys left to watch. You know, Anthony Hines, uh, you look into 2018, I think guys like Josh Proctor are still worth keeping an eye on. Eddie's going to go – Actually, see him and Patrick Fields, uh, you know, another in-state offer that I think is definitely considering his OU offer right now. I mean, so there is going to be, um, uh, I think, more action. I, you know, like I, I've said, I guess in our podcast last week, I think by you know maybe that Ohio State game, there might be four or five spots left in Oklahoma's class. I mean, that may be it. it it's yeah. really starting to get down to the nuts and bolts, and like we talked about. It's a great situation for OU. They can have, you know, their nine-man staff focused on maybe nine guys. I mean, you can really zero in on your last few targets. Well, and then you wait and see. Is Cameron Rising kind of become the the guy that starts uh, uh, working on the, the 2018 class? Absolutely. I, I think, you know, as really as the season goes on, you'll start to see momentum build in that direction as 2017 starts to become, you know, kind of in the books as far as Oklahoma's concerned if, like we talked about, the season's going like they want it to. All right. Well, that's going to do it. Uh, we'll be back again next week uh, as we start entering game prep. It'll be football mode next week. Classes start on Monday. Uh, they'll Two-a-days will end. 
Uh, we'll try and find out anything we can. I know OU's probably going to do a write-up on this scrimmage like they did on Saturday. So being, sa- being that it's not a Saturday, not as many people will be there. So I don't know how much I'll actually hear about today's scrimmage. Uh, so... Uh, anyway, for uh, Josh McQuistion, who is uh, back home, Eddie Radosevich, appreciate him coming down to studio uh, to record this today. I'm Kerry Murdoch, and we will see you guys next time on the Unofficial 40.